Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Andy Morse just became a supporter of Independent Tech News. Care to join Andy? Well, become a DTNS member today at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Thursday, May 2nd, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. From Austin, Texas, I'm Justin Robert Young. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. From Austin, Texas, Justin Robert Young. What are you doing now? Yeah, we don't hear that often. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to be out of town for a couple weeks. And so Mm -hmm. I headed on down Texas way so I could bank some episodes of uh, some of the shows that I do with Brian Brushwood. And uh, lo, here we are in the middle of a busy schedule recording daily tech news show well we are going to miss you for a couple weeks on daily tech news show so as a parting gift uh we have scheduled today's topic to be about the portal to hell hashtag hell portal uh that is content moderation on the internet we have an eff posting we're going to kick around but let's start with a few tech things you should know Politico reports a possible settlement between Facebook and the FTC, appointing a federally approved privacy official and creating an independent privacy committee that could include Facebook board members as well. CEO Mark Zuckerberg would also reportedly be named designated compliance officer for privacy, and that would mean he was who would be personally accountable as part of the deal. The structural changes would be in addition to a fine that Facebook anticipates to be between three and $5 billion. In his Q1 earnings, LG reported its mobile division generated 1.51 trillion Korean won or about 1.34 billion American down 30% on the last year and lowest revenue since Q1 2011. The division lost uh, 200 uh, 203.5 billion won, lower than Q4 2018, but up 43% on the year. Overall, LG reported a quarterly profit of 900.6 billion won, 80% of which came from its profitable home appliance division. And in its Q2 earnings report, Qualcomm stated it would receive four and a half to four point seven billion dollars in additional revenue in Q3 as part of that settlement with Apple over intellectual property licensing. So now you can sort of try to back out what that fee settlement was. Qualcomm expects the six-year patent license and chip supply agreement with Apple to generate two dollars per share in additional earnings. 
Let's talk a little bit about how Spotify is experimenting with advertisements. Well, Tom Spotify is experimenting with advertisements. <laughs> announced the launch of a voice-enabled advertisement where a listener can give a verbal command in order to take action on the ad's content. Initially, the audio ads will direct listeners to a branded Spotify playlist or podcast. Early tests include Unilever's Axe and Spotify Studios, the voice ads will only be available to some of Spotify's free mobile listeners in the U.S. during the initial test period. And users must enable Spotify's voice controls. So the example they show on the TechCrunch article, I think, is the easiest one to wrap your head around. Uh, there's an ad for a special edition of a podcast about The Clash. And then the Spotify ad says, would you like to hear that? To which you can respond if you have voice uh, activation on, yes, I would like to hear that. And then it will take you right to that podcast. With the Unilever Axe, I guess there's going to be a thing about how, you know, fresh scents on your body are like fresh music. Would you like would to you listen like to, to some fresh beats as chosen by Axe? And then it'll take you to a playlist of music. Um, all of these will only work if you've turned on the voice assistant in Spotify. You can leave the voice assistant on and opt out of the ads, or you can just turn off the voice assistant altogether. So they've, they've given you good control over this. Yeah, I, I don't think that this sounds particularly onerous or or aggressive. I, I do think that as ads continue to find relevance, uh, we, we are moving into uh, uh, easier ways for us to get around ads. Uh, they need to become uh, more present, and this is a way to make it a fun way to interact with it, or at least one where you can do it via your headsets that are already in. You don't need to look at your phone to take action, but I don't know. It seems legit. Yeah, it, I was trying to figure out a way to be outraged by this, and I'm just <laughs> really not. Uh, I, I think Spotify is smart by, by uh, at least in the initial test, it's all just directing you to more Spotify stuff. So it's not like, hey, do you want to buy this uh, chapstick? And then you know you get bounced out somewhere, you know, wh which could be the case down the road. I'm not really sure. It's funny. There's a uh, preschool down the street from me and, and whoever put, they always have like music playing when the kids are playing outside. And every once in a while when I'm walking by, it'll be like, and if you want to try Spotify premium, do so today. And I'm like, okay, somebody has a free Spotify playlist that they're, that they're playing. But I wonder, you know, in situations where there are a bunch of people listening to some sort of Spotify content and this arises, does it get weird? Yeah, this definitely feels meant for you with your headphones on. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. All right, more numbers to report. Counterpoint Research estimates that Q1 smartwatch shipments rose 48% year over year. Apple's watch shipments grew 49%, but its total market share remained almost the same at 35.8% of the market. The Samsung Galaxy watch shipments rose 127% to give it 11.1% of the market. Fitbit rose to 5.5% of the market. And Huawei has arrived on the scene with its Watch GT taking 2.8%. Congratulations to you. Fossil, Garmin, Amazfit, and Emu also are their share drop, however. So, you know, there's, there's some movement in both directions. CounterPoint found that ECG was now the most desirable feature on that Apple Watch. 
is which not kind surprising of to me. Indicates what we knew is true, which is health stuff seems to be one of the drivers. Health and fitness are yeah. the two big drivers for wearables. Uh, and the watch market is on the rise. Um, not saying how long it will continue to grow, but it looks like it's a healthy growing market right now because people are like, you know what? Yeah, I do want to monitor my fitness rather than what do I need that for? It seems like they've they finally found for now anyway, their answer. Well, but it also kind of seems like there is a little bit of a cleaving between health and fitness, that that there are obviously a rise in people tracking themselves working out. But the ECG feature is is almost as much of a, hey, let me monitor my pulse. Let me let me make sure that I am uh, maybe getting an early warning if something catastrophic happens. And that's, I think, a different way of looking at it other than the quantifiable self. Let me make sure that I'm burning these kind of calories and I'm going this certain distance because I want to hold myself to an exercise discipline. Yeah. And we're seeing fitness tracker uh, sales declining because yeah. I th- not because people don't want to do the tracking of the fitness, but they want more. They they want what you're talking about in addition to that. You're, I think you're absolutely right there. Uh, robot farming startup Iron Ox. We talked about them previously on a DTNS when we talked about robot farming as a potential future. Well, robot farming startup Iron Ox has announced it will begin selling its first produce at the San Carlos, California branch of Bianchini's Market. So this is a big step from, hey, we've got this experiment to we are actually selling our produce in an actual grocery store to actual people. Iron Ox uses robotic picking arms, hydroponic vats, and self-driving porters to tend to the growing vegetables. If you recall, uh, when we talked about them before, they still have humans doing the planting and the packaging uh, of the produce. So it's not entirely replacing humans, just sort of speeds up the tending part of it. Batches of red-veined sorrel, baby lettuce heads, and Genovese basil are delivered just over a half a mile once a week to the market, and they cost you from $250 to $5 for those baby lettuce heads for a two-ounce box of each of those greens, uh, which, as The Verge points out, is you know fairly comparable to what you'd pay at a high-end grocery store like Whole Foods. Now, I would have hoped that the robot farming would decrease prices <laughs> for my produce. Doesn't uh, sound like that's happening to be on Keenies, but that it also seems like maybe a little bit of a higher end market in general. Well, yeah, and I think that's the, the the case right now is that if there's a question about robotic farming, it's whether it can scale, whether it can actually deliver enough, whether it's efficient enough, and whether it can get the costs down. Uh, so this is an important step to be able to say we feel like this produce is safe enough to sell and we found a market willing to carry it and we can sell it at a price that at least the shoppers of that high-end market are willing to pay. Uh, There's a lot more to be proved about about scale and efficiency here, but interesting to keep track of, I thought. It's certainly so. Uh, uh, If just so it's on our radar in case we see another article that is outbreak at Bianchini's market (laughs) at San Carlos. Uh, Robot fever. Yeah, uh, 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 if that turns out to be the case, then obviously that would be bad news. But there's no indication that that'll happen. Uh, you know, it, it, this is something that does matter a lot. If and that is the big if, Sarah's beautiful dream becomes a reality and everything becomes cheaper, and, and then we have a lot more ramifications in terms of uh, farming and really automation going forward for a lot of different industries. Yeah, it seems like the big yeah. hope is. Yeah they'll be able to do these close enough to the markets that it will reduce transportation costs. Uh, and they hope the technology gets better to increase the efficiency of what the robots can do. That's where the big question mark is, at least from where I sit. 
Nikkei reports that according to sources, server maker Supermicro notified suppliers to move production out of China to address consumer concerns over potential espionage. The company also plans to expand its in-house manufacturing, breaking ground in the new Taiwanese factory on April 29th with plans to expand into Silicon Valley. Digitimes analyst uh, Betty Xu reports that less than 50% of Supermicro's servers were made in China in 2018, compared to over 90 the year before. The, esp- the espionage concerns originated from an October 2018 piece in Bloomberg Businessweek that alleged some Supermicro motherboards had malicious chips implanted in attempts to hack customers like Amazon and Apple, with all, with all three companies strenuously denying the reporting. Yeah, uh, Roger and I were talking about this as, as sort of a, one of those effects of bad press. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. Uh, it's causing Supermicro to say, you know what, forget it. Uh, we we just don't want to deal with the uncertainty. We're going to move our our factories somewhere where it reduces that uncertainty because this is a really unusual situation where Bloomberg has not backed down. Uh, from their reporting, and neither have the vendors backed down and and uh, from their denials that it's true. You usually somebody breaks one way or another in these kinds of situations, and this this one still since October has not. Well, and also whether or not you believe one side or the other, it does not take a lot to believe that any of these sides would back down. Like you can if you're Apple, considering how much business that you do, how important China is to your business, how important China is to Amazon's business. You can't come out and say, well, as it found out, uh, we are definitely being <laughs> we are being hacked by, by, by the Chinese. Now, whether or not the proof that they have shown and they have gone above and beyond to say there's nothing that we have found. They have been strenuous. They have been aggressive in their denials. I think that. At a certain point, when that idea is out there, there's no putting that genie back in the bottle, no matter how many uh, strenuous denials you find or uh, sticking by the story like Bloomberg said. I mean, I, I think there is a way that Apple or Amazon could say, well, you know, we did find a little something. We're not saying the Chinese are behind it, but, you know, you you see stuff like that. These are these are everybody's dug in at their most extreme point in this. And I think that that is different than than most of these kinds of stories but like you say it really is all academic at this point because Supermicro is like fine uncle uh we're gonna move our stuff to taiwan yeah yeah well and i don't know exactly where they're planning to move in silicon valley um or taiwan for that matter but one would think that the production costs are going to rise because of this so when you when you when you when you um Think about the PR issues that the company has and the fact that they might have to make some changes and take a little bit of a financial hit, at least at the beginning. It's probably a pretty big deal. Yeah, it'll, it will raise their costs in the short term, no, no matter what. You're absolutely right. Well, let's let's hearken back to a simpler time on the Internet, shall mm, we? Hark, please. Hark, hark, let's hark. hark. Razor's one-time April Fool's joke, oh, we love those, once known as Project Breadwinner, will become real, and it'll be the Razor Toaster. Now, if you don't remember what happened, Razor CEO Min Ling Tang made a deal back in 2013 and posted it that the toaster would be made if Mark Withers' Give Us the Razor Toaster Facebook page could get 1 million likes on Facebook. And a Razor Toaster tattoo would count as 100,000 likes. Now, 45,000 likes and 12 tattoos later, Tan has posted... I'm going to put together my team of designers and engineers. It will take a few years, but I'll be sure to share the progress. 
we're getting a toaster. Talk about uh, crying uncle. Uh, Razor looked at these 12 <laughs> tattoos. And I, I do. I like if you read the full posting from Tan, it does feel like he was like, man, you know what? 12 like, guys got right. tattoos. Fine. Yeah. We're going to make We'll make a toaster. I don't know how long it'll take, but we'll, we'll, we'll make it your toaster. We'll, we'll, we'll make good on this. I mean, when you, when you when you say it will take a few years, you might also be hoping that in those few years, people <laughs> kind of forget about this. Oh, I don't think but, Mark Withers is going to forget about this, do you? Like, he went this no, far. He's not no. letting this go. I mean, to be honest, it, it is a weird position because on one hand, if you're tan, you can say, all right, fine. Let's go find a high-end toaster manufacturer. We 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 make a deal with them. We We slap the Razor logo on it and now congratulations about a bing bang boom uh with, with the magic of laser etching we have the the razor toaster but they appear to be saying no 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 razor is razor stands for quality that's right razor stands for efficiency razor stands for the highest end product that you can buy so we are indeed going to develop our own razor toaster uh, uh that is very very interesting uh, uh and who knows you know the Things, uh, uh, verticals have started from far less than a meme that gained that kind of traction on Facebook. Well, and Roger made a comment before the show. He was like, well, you know, toasters used to not really be able to handle bagels all that well. Well, we're, we're kind of getting to a point that I feel like even a pretty inexpensive toaster is a pretty good toaster. So I'd love to see what Razor comes up with. I hope that at least one uh, cryptocurrency exchange <laughs> will get on board and offer free razor toasters to people opening new accounts. <laughs> uh, this this story just made me so happy today because I'm like, oh, this is what most of the news was like in 2008. Uh, but, you know, yeah, yeah, I know. Before back, when, back when Tumblr was in its heyday, yeah, right, yeah, before Verizon was shopping Tumblr around like a, a piece of leftover bread. Yeah, way, way way before Burger King was trying to sell Happy Meals to the clinically depressed. <laughs> Burger King Happy Meal? Wait, what? Uh, oh, did you not see this? Yeah, no. uh, go go look it up. They they have their new. And not everybody can be happy all the time, Tom. Oh. They have their own. Uh, Wait, so so McDonald's and Burger King both now have Happy Meals. No, no, just go. It's a. It's oh, a, it's, it's a. a, it's a, a yeah, 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 I got you. I got you. Folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, you're missing out if you don't subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. Get on over there. Well, folks, earlier this week, uh, Susan Wojcicki, the CEO of YouTube, uh, posted a an article for creators. And among the things she said in the article, uh, I want to call out a couple because I think it kicks off today's conversation quite well. On suspending comments on the videos with minors, which we've reported on on DTNS before, Susan wrote, I know this change impacted so many creators who we know are innocent from professional creators to young people or their parents who are posting videos. But in the end, that was a trade-off we made because we feel protecting children on our platform should be the most important guiding principle. And on trying to remove the Christchurch videos, wrote, that meant a number of videos that didn't actually violate community guidelines, including a small set of news and commentary, were swept up and kept off the platform until appealed by its owners and reinstated. But given the stakes, it was another trade-off that we felt was necessary. So two situations where she says, look, we know we uh, had false positives, but the, this day and age, we're going we're gonna to live with that if it keeps the bad stuff off. In a letter to the U.S. House, uh, Google wrote that it spends hundreds of millions of dollars on content review manually 
and says it reviewed more than a million suspected terrorist videos on YouTube in the first three months of 2019, removing 90,000 for violating its terrorism policy. So that leads me to the EFFs, Jillian York and Corinne McSherry, writing for the EFF Deep Links blog and republished on TechDirt, a post titled, Content Moderation is Broken, Let Us Count the Ways, because these two folks, and EFF in general, are not okay with false positives being so frequent. They assert that content moderation was never meant to operate at the scale of billions of users. They point out it's hard. It damages the humans that do it because they have to watch all of this horrible stuff. uh, And that's often outsourced to countries with cheap rate labor. And that using AI causes false positives, like we've just heard. It's inconsistent because an AI is really good at, say, recognizing a naked body. And AI is not so good at recognizing what hate speech is. Copyright enforcement is overrepresented because there's such a strong lobbying group for it. And opinions both on the side of moderators and on the side of the audience vary on what's acceptable, where the line is, as well as companies overreacting and reacting to the loudest and most influential voices. They also wrote that bad content moderation causes unintended harms. For for example, attempts to stop hateful words will sometimes end up silencing marginalized groups who use those words, who empower those words and take them back for them their own. Then they end up getting moderated out. Or people showing examples of bad uses of words, like racism, and then getting moderated out. Uh, as well as bans on suggestive language, overly impacting, say, health companies because they use the words that are also used when you're being sexy uh, inappropriately. Uh, women's underwear has been removed. There are examples of that because they were talking about the body that the underwear was meant to be used on. And the, I, the one that got me the most is appeals. Appeals are broken. Once you're blocked, it's very hard to get unblocked without knowing someone at one of these companies. So if you are one of these false positives, sometimes it gets you in a pickle. And some moderation decisions have no appeal. Your thing is down and that's it. You don't get to ask for it to be put back up. So how about solutions? Well, uh, in this blog post, they say that censorship should be rare. Uh, Companies should justify very rigorously why a category is exceptional and deserves to be bound. And then boundary lines around that category must be clear and predictable. Emergencies where you have to go and take stuff down because, you know, it's happening now and it's really bad, must be well-defined and only used in true emergencies. For non-emergencies, appeals must be available before a takedown and content should stay up until appeals are resolved. Again, for non-emergencies. These policies should align with human rights norms. Uh, Users should be given more tools to control what they see. So if you're like, I'm not comfortable seeing that, it shouldn't be on the company to ban it for everybody. Some of the stuff you should just be able to say, I don't want to see that. I guess other people do, but I don't. So more of those kinds of tools. And policymaking amongst governments should be evidence-based. And I'll quote from their blog post. While we know that disinformation spreads rapidly on social media, many of the policies created by companies in the wake of pressure appear to have had little effect. And that's a drum I've been beating for years now is let's figure out what the actual problem is so we can solve it rather than just overreacting with something we think might solve it and then not solve it. So... This is obviously not a situation we're going to fix today, but Justin, I know you've been banging a similar drum about mm-hmm. when you move into moderate content, you open up a whole can of worms. You do. And here's the biggest of those, uh, the, the, the solutions, all of which I agree with. I, I think that the, the, the biggest thing that you can take going forward 
And I applaud the platforms that have laid these situations out, even if it makes uh, some of their users unhappy. At least having the rules of the road is very, very important. You should know what is banned. You should know what will get you banned. You should know at least the the you know, quote unquote legal framework that then you can go ahead and appeal based on. A lot of these companies do not have it. Everything changes willy nilly, and you have no idea how you can get uh, uh, into uh, replace it. But here's the big one: give users the tools to control what they see without affecting others. That's a cool thing to say, but why don't we see more of it? Because the biggest platforms that we have these conversations are uh, on are advertising platforms. They need as many views as possible to sell the ads against. This is the business that they are in. The more you are able to uh, mechanically restrict what you are seeing, the less real estate they have or specifically important demographic real estate that they have to sell against. This is the great decision-making process for Facebook, Google, and uh, you know, all, the, all of their subsidiaries. They need to be able to figure out how they can make people happier with what they are seeing while understanding that that might erode their core business. Sarah? Yeah, I, I, I mean, there are certain things where I, I, I think to myself, how is it so hard for, uh, again, AI to recognize nudity, but not to be able to make more sense of text and the context that that text is being used in? But I understand that it's very nuanced and it, and it, and you know, everybody's different. I, I feel like. Uh, besides just saying burn it all to the ground, which, som- <laughs> which sometimes I do feel. Sure, I think I, a lot I, of us do. Yeah I, I, yeah, I feel like, you know, the kind of like, let's make m- uh, my experience personalized to my comfort level, for me, works on a lot of social networks, for the most part. You know, if someone's being a jerk, I block them. You know, if they're if they're you want to do mature content, you can you can get rid of that on YouTube. But I'm also not a parent. And I know that speaking to so many parents of kids who for, for which YouTube is, and I'm using YouTube as just one example, but you know it's it's the example I'm using right now is such a big part of their viewing experience. I can see why this would be a much bigger issue. And I and I think the other part of their suggestions that strike me are making sure that appeals in non-emergency cases. And I think that was very smart of them to say, look, there are emergencies where you just need to take it down. We get that, right? There are times when that has to happen. But that shouldn't be the norm. The norm should be if somebody says, hey, this should be taken down, I, as a creator, should be told that first and get a reasonable amount of time, not a lot amount of time, but a reasonable amount of time to say, hold on, let me explain why. Uh, And we say this as uh, a, a YouTube video production that constantly gets demonetized or gets uh, a moderation uh, requested to, to have videos taken down all the time, which we can't explain. We're just sitting here talking about tech news. Uh, and somehow the bot goes in and goes, ah, we're not sure that's appropriate because maybe they said a thing or, or and misinterpreted something. So those should be appealable first. I, I, I don't think you should take down and then ask questions later. Well, And, and it's, it's reasonable to 
say, like, let's say an amazing channel like FilmJoy, where our friend Mikey Newman does these great long-form film essays that constantly he has to fight this battle of getting demonetized or having the videos pulled because he uses clips from the movies that he is talking about. And despite the fact that it is very clearly fair use, he winds up running up against the robots. If the thing you're asking him is, hey, whenever you put out a video, just make sure you keep an eye on your dashboard for 48 hours. That's when we do the most sweeping stuff and just have your appeal letter ready that you're able to send it in. So in case there is a flag, you're able to deal with it. That to me is a reasonable amount of pressure that you can put on the creator that at least satisfies the the, the copyright arm. But the, the the question again is how much they care, how you know how much they are able to weigh what they want for their user base against their corporate partners and their ability to sell ads. Yep, absolutely. And, and even you know the 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 note uh, that Tom made a few minutes ago about how much Google uh, told uh, a U.S. House panel that it's spending on content moderation of suspected terrorist videos. You go like, well, that sounds good. You should be spending lots of money on that. Okay, well, yes. Yeah, so who got? Who, who was affected by this? How many of them were false positives? How many people were employed in that huge number that, that, that could have been somehow damaged or, 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 mm-hmm. or, or is just a waste of time? Well, and, 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 you know, it, to the emergency thing, I would love it if, if YouTube said or Facebook said, Hey, look, we're in an emergency process right now when it comes to something that is happening. If you would like to post commentary on it, we ask you to flag it or use, you know, some yeah. something that basically says no. this because we will be removing anything that mentions the following words or uses the following videos. Just be transparent. And what, and what Jiski actually in her blog post, I did not quote this part, but but talked about a plan to let certain creators, probably the biggest creators, uh, say ahead of time, we think this video could fall afoul for this reason or this reason, and here's why we think it's still okay. They sort of pre, they sort of self self moderate in that way to to sort of pre approve their stuff and speed it along. And if those tools could be made useful more widely, then I think that would be great. Well, you know what is a useful tool. That would be our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. We're also on Facebook, and we're a bunch of nice folks over there, too. Facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. On to the mailbag. On to it. Eric wrote in and said on the topic of Facebook and their intention to move towards more privacy, do I understand correctly that Facebook may have a definition of privacy that's different from what users mean when they speak about privacy? For instance, Facebook is moving towards more closed groups within which users can share information more privately. However, what people who are outraged at the lack of privacy considerations from Facebook may be more outraged about would be Facebook selling user data, having user data leaked, having other companies like a bank or an airline feed private data into Facebook to hopefully be able to advertise in a more targeted way, etc. No, is Facebook trying to use a limited version of privacy as a kind of smokescreen for the real privacy issues? Or could I be missing something in this discussion? Is Facebook using a definition of privacy that's more concerned with privacy within their platform slash ecosystem, whereas the accusations against Facebook tend to be more about user data being sold or given or leaked to parties outside of Facebook? Uh, you know, I think you loaded your language a little bit there, Eric, uh, but it's a very good point. Facebook is talking about one problem that people absolutely do have and complain about, which is, I don't want to run into all this random stuff. I don't want fake news in my feed. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. How do we how do we keep that? And moving from the town square to the living room fixes a lot of those kinds of problems. And that's the kind of privacy they talked about. But Eric is very right. I guess you can't be very right. He's just right that uh, that that Facebook did not talk about privacy from Facebook and from Facebook's advertising partners. They didn't address that at all. Well, thanks, Eric. And also thanks to Justin Robert Young coming in hot from the Lone Star State today. Justin, where can people keep up with your work? Well, friends, you can go ahead and sign on to my free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Uh, it's five days a week, five posts a day, mostly gifts, sometimes hot takes. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I don't, you know, uh, this is a fledgling newsletter. We've only been doing it for a few months. Uh, so we've got a, a nice growing community that I'm very happy about, but we're coming up on a very important milestone. In fact, if you are among the next 25 people, to sign up for the free political newsletter, you may or may not, depending on the order, have a, a shot to be our 1776 subscriber Whoa. for the free political Ooh. newsletter. So uh, go ahead and get in. Get in now because someone's going to get it, and it could be you, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Our goal each month is to get one more patron than last month, and you could be that person. We're going to we're gonna start in on this early, folks. Uh, we need to get there this May. Uh, help us get over the hump. Become a DTS member. Get an ad-free RSS feed, special episodes from me on how we do the show, special episodes looking back on the tech news of the past at certain levels, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash DTNS. 
If you've got something to say, you got a question, you got anything you want to get off your chest, our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 2030 UTC. And you can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Sarah's off tomorrow. We'll miss you, Sarah. But we'll be back with Ashley Esqueda and Len Peralta. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.